0: My name is Victoria Bamber, and you're listening to Metcast, the podcast that digs into the research, knowledge, and expertise from across Manchester Metropolitan University and how it is transforming the world around us. In this month's episode, we're embracing Christmas and everything the festive season has to offer. From keeping New Year's resolutions to having a sustainable Christmas, we talk to the experts for useful hints and tips as we enter the holiday season. But first, For many of us, food at Christmas is one of the main reasons why this really is the most wonderful time of the year. But with all that feasting, it's easy for those familiar feelings of guilt to creep in. We join Rachel Toll, who investigates healthy eating and how making positive choices can keep those post-holiday blues at bay.
1: Christmas is a time for celebration. And for many of us, a big part of that is food and drink whether that's mulled wine and hot dogs at the Christmas markets, mince pies with colleagues in the office, or roast turkey with all the trimmings on the big day, not forgetting seeing in the new year with a glass of bubbly. But with a little thought, you can fully embrace the festive period while keeping one eye on making healthier choices and avoiding excessively overindulging. Senior lecturer in nutrition, Dr. Orla Flannery, unwraps some expert advice and guides you through the festive world of mindful eating. So, how do you avoid overindulging at Christmas and still enjoy it? Orla explains.
2: The key thing is planning. Not planning. but let's take Christmas Day, for example. Probably the eating pattern's gonna be slightly different. We might have breakfast slightly later, or um, the main meal might be slightly later, mid-afternoon. So I think if you can plan, what time that would be and a key thing would probably not to graze in between those Mm -hmm. and if we think about the tips we can do to try and minimize the grazing I think if it is out of sight out of mind that will help so whilst you might go to the supermarket and it'll be buy one get one half price in terms of the box of chocolates just buy the one and put them in the cupboard if you can or give them away to someone else so that they're not there and the temptation isn't there. I think that would help.
1: As well as planning what food to buy, you can also prepare your body for festive feasting.
2: Fruit and veg is really good. Um, things like um, kefir or you know, any of those kind of products will, will help as well. So trying to enhance the, the gut bacteria. Sleep will also help in, in terms of that. There is some evidence which might help over the kind of Christmas period if we look at um, time restricted eating. So if we restrict the hours of eating to, say, a 10 hour window, which can work for a lot of people over the Christmas period where routines kind of change. And if you can restrict the hours of eating to maybe a 10 hour window, there is some really good um, evidence around the health benefits of doing that.
1: Healthy eating's not always the top of everyone's agenda at this time of year, but there are ways to still incorporate nutritious food into your diet.
2: I think if we go on the minimum of of five fruit and veg a day and try and think with each meal, how can I add some fruit or vegetables to this meal? I mean, the Christmas Day dinner typically is a lot of vegetables. So I think if you centre it around the fruit and veg, because actually if you can fill up on fruit and veg and increase your fiber intake that's good for your gut microbiome and um, it will make you feel fuller um less bloating hopefully and it will just keep you um on target i think and, and we can fill up quite easily on on the veg and we can make veg really interesting i think sometimes when we look at the types of food that are typically sold at, at christmas time and that little I don't know, the mini sausage rolls or whatever it might be, it can be very beige. So maybe think about the colours as well on your meal. So rather than it all being beigey coloured, try and get as much colour as possible um, into your meals might also help. Turkey's great, but not everyone will have turkey. So again, it, it depends what you pick the alternative might be um, in terms of that kind of protein source so again if we look at the protein and if you're vegan or, or vegetarian think about what that protein alternative might be and and how healthy that might be in terms of if we look at the there's a lot now talking about ultra processed food so sometimes vegan food can be quite ultra processed so again you might want to consider what that alternative might be but I think just try and you know, maybe not Brussels sprouts, not everyone loves Brussels sprouts, but try and think of a mix of vegetables you can kind of supplement with that. Stuffing or pig in blankets or whatever it might be, you would have the additional things. And don't not have that, but just be mindful, put less on your plate because actually, and and take your time because you will feel full pretty quickly um, once you've had your kind of main meal uh, and then think about what you might then have afterwards. Food isn't the only way we celebrate over the festive
1: period. More socialising and a break from work can, for those who enjoy a drink, see our alcohol consumption increase. Aula outlines how
2: we can manage this on a practical level. If you can have every other drink, would be one would be alcohol and then switch to water. Um, and sometimes I find um, when working with clients, they find it helpful to maybe put the 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 water, whatever it might be, the sparkling water in a wine glass to kind of feel like you're drinking. Um, and it's been mindful of that kind of peer pressure, even, you know, as, as adults, we can feel the peer pressure to have one more drink. And, you know, when we look at change in behaviour. If you set an intention to, before you go to the party or before you go to the office party or friend's house of, right, I'm just going to have three drinks, then actually the evidence would show we're more likely to stick to that. So if you can make those choices and kind of plan ahead, then that will help.
1: There's a strong psychological link to food and our eating behaviours, and these come to the fore during the holidays. are Explains
2: it's how we we celebrate we celebrate with food it's you know it's what we do as children and that carries through into and so we're we associate you know celebration with food and and enjoying ourselves and and we're not saying don't do that but try and sort of just plan ahead and and be mindful of what you're eating i think sometimes at christmas as well we can we're so distracted there's a lot going on we might watch a lot more tv We then might eat a bit more. So I think it's been really mindful when we're eating what we're eating and and enjoy it.
1: So there you go. Be mindful of what you eat and drink at Christmas, but
0: above all, enjoy it. Thanks, Rachel. Next, let's talk about sustainability at Christmas Many of us are aware that the festive period has a huge impact on the environment. But what can we do differently? And how can our decisions bring about real change? We join Dan Cotton to find out more.
3: Food, presents, lights, Christmas trees, travelling to see loved ones. These are just a few of the things that are enjoyed over Christmas. But while they bring joy to so many people, they present a conundrum in society's drive to become more sustainable and to limit the impact of our behaviours and consumption on the climate. In the UK, more than 100 million rubbish bags are sent to landfills over the Christmas period, and globally, the excess waste from packaging, wrapping paper, cards and food increases by 25-30% to during the holiday season. So, what can we do to have a more sustainable Christmas? Dr Graham Hayes is a Senior Lecturer in Sustainable and Regenerative Business at Manchester Met. So what are his top tips to making our Christmases more sustainable? Christmas
4: means uh, a lot to a lot of people. Uh, for some people, it, it doesn't mean anything. But if you're a Christmassy person, it's, it's a real... It's almost like an exam, a really good example or exemplar of the complexities of sustainability, because you want to make sustainable choices. But at the same time, if you're into Christmas, you like to open presents and give people nice things and stuff like that. So it's a really difficult problem in a way. I think the the core thing is that it's really just similar to any sort of sustainable decision making Experience that you might go through, so it's all about thinking about things like buying locally, buying things made out of renewable materials where possible, low energy products, things that can be recycled, um, and things like that. Essentially, uh, so that is like the core principles that sort of underpin what you might be looking to buy or not buy. But I would say uh, above that and relevant to Christmas, you also have things like you know, there's a lot of pressure just to buy people stuff sometimes. So I've been dragged into many like secret. Santas over the years where you're forced to buy a present for someone who you share an office with and you don't know that person or what they really are into and you've only got a budget of £5 so you often buy something that is probably going to end up in the bin quite quickly because you don't know what to get them. So I'd say trying to avoid that sort of urge to just buy and rush into novelty purchases is is a nice sort of quick one that people can do. So my favourite example of that is a DVD rewinder that you could buy a few years ago which doesn't need to exist because you can't rewind dvds or a few years ago you could buy nothing which was basically a just packaging in a clear box with nothing inside so you could say to people that you've bought them nothing for christmas which is you know it's a nice funny gift for a few seconds and then it immediately goes into the bin so i'd say try to avoid buying things like that and try to focus on things like maybe experiences or charity shopping so just trying to think about sort of dematerializing essentially is is a good way to go about it as a broad concept.
3: The idea of dematerialising Christmas is one of the simplest and most effective ways of reducing our impact on the environment at this time of year. But what about the things that are less easy to cut out? Will people really scrap their travel plans to see friends and family in a drive to be more sustainable? For Dr Hayes, making these decisions is all about finding the right balance.
4: It's a time of year when you want to be near people who you love to your family, for example, and we live in an increasingly increasingly global society, so those people may not be in the same city as you or even the same continent as you. And, you know, that's, that's a real challenge. And I think, it, as with all things with climate change, it's important to not get too bogged down with this sort of stuff because you can, otherwise you never get to do anything, and it can become quite a sort of depressing sort of existence when you're trying to You know, if you were to say say you'd never see your family ever again if they live on another side of the world, then that's a a really difficult commitment to make. So I'd say try not to get too down on on these decisions and just try to make the most sensible decisions that you can. So trying to travel as sustainably as possible. So get the train rather than flying if that's an option. With things like batteries and, and stuff like that and plastic, I would say, if you've got like a little baby then you can buy them like wooden toys for example but I know that it once you're up to maybe five or, or something around that there's going to be maybe certain toys that they want which are only going to be available in certain materials so that's a lot harder to, to manage but just trying to think of responsible, if that's the right word, purchasing decisions where possible. Is really helpful and just for me i recently after saying this stuff for a decade i finally bought my first rechargeable like double a rechargeable battery pack that i plug into the wall recently and i don't know why i've not done it sooner because it's already saving me money and saving resources and energy and, and everything so i highly recommend as a gift in itself to buy people a rechargeable double um, a AA or triple a battery uh, charger pack
3: when it comes to our own personal choices it's clear to see that there are a range of ways we can all play a part in creating a more sustainable Christmas. For many businesses, however, this is a key time of year to sell their products and make a profit. This makes any drive for sustainability extremely difficult. But Dr Hayes has seen many business practices and industry commitments to become more sustainable that are bringing innovation to the fore and helping to build a greener future.
4: We have definitely seen a huge change in the way businesses view sustainability. It's it's not for every business yet, but it's 100% moved um, from being a sort of ancillary concern to something that is a central business imperative to most businesses these days. Whether you're a big multinational corporation or a small widget manufacturer in Manchester or somewhere else in the UK or anywhere in the world, businesses are increasingly aware that their business is at risk to things like the physical impacts of climate change, so uh, rising temperatures or extreme weather events and so on. But also we have what we call um, transitional risks, which are basically the risks to business as we look to solve this problem. So policy changes, materials being made illegal or certain business practices being regulated more strictly by policy. We're starting to see a whole host of different factors, which means that whether you want to change the planet to make the world a better place, or you you are just purely motivated by making money as an organization, you have to now integrate this sort of thinking into your business. And we're seeing that more and more. And that's really triggering a lot of innovation, a lot of really unique ways of, of working differently. So innovation in like a technological sense in terms of business model pra- practices, efficiencies um, in how businesses go about what they do. We're really seeing like a brand new era of business starting to emerge and it's really exciting. There's a long way to go and we are still way behind where we need to be in terms of our decarbonisation targets. But um, we're we're seeing a lot of progress and I'm generally on a day to day filled with optimism about about how we're getting along.
3: Whether it's cutting down on the gifts you buy or remembering to freeze those Christmas dinner leftovers, we can all play a part in creating a more sustainable Christmas. And as our behaviours change and businesses continue to innovate, environmentally friendly Christmases across the world may not be too far away.
0: Thanks, Dan. And finally, we look to January and the inevitability of New Year's resolutions. Easy to keep and even easier to break, we discuss personal transformation and how sticking to those goals isn't quite as tricky as you might first think. We join Lisa McCarthy to find out more.
5: Now, it may seem a little early to be talking about New Year's resolutions before the 1st of January, But December might just be the perfect time to start planning ahead, reflecting, resetting and setting some inspiring goals. It's a familiar theme. We set out with the best of intentions at the start of the new year, only to flounder and give up come mid-January. We hear from Senior Lecturer in Psychology, Dr Joe Keelan, about the psychology behind making New Year's resolutions. We explore the psychology behind goal setting, share his expert tips on making resolutions that stick and discuss why, although traditionally associated with the turning of the year, it may not be the ideal time for everyone when it comes to personal transformation. We'll be diving into the do's and don'ts of crafting meaningful resolutions and hearing from Joe's own personal experience, as well as his academic insight, to help you get ready to kick off the new year with intention and purpose. So, where to begin?
6: Whenever we're trying to change a health behaviour, particularly one that we've been doing for a prolonged period of time, it's not something that we're going to just have to change instantaneously so really when we're planning ahead we're thinking about what are the kind of the surroundings that we need to have around us what support do we need to have what resources do we need to start thinking about making a, a long-term change to things that we might be doing more habitually or maybe psychologically reinforcing our identity such as smoking alcohol um, excessive drinking um, or drugs so we, we need to be thinking about what might be the challenges that we need to overcome and having our kind of approaches to overcoming those challenges already figured out.
5: Joe explain some of the approaches we can use.
6: So one of those approaches might be to thinking about how we can change the environment around ourselves to maybe prevent temptation to engage in old habits. So we might be thinking about, where do we ordinarily engage in those behaviours? Is there a particular time of the day, um, particularly day of the week in which those behaviours occur? So what can we do instead to replace those behaviours that we're trying to change? And it's really important to, be- to remember that um, behaviours are a system, they're a complex system and they don't occur in isolation. So we need to be thinking about a whole system of behaviours to identify um, what needs to change and how.
5: So waking up on New Year's Day, possibly after a late night of celebrating and decide we're going to break old habits may not always be the best course of
6: action. Yes, definitely. I think the long term reward from changing our maybe negative health behaviours is the long term health gains. So whether we change our behaviours on the 2nd of January as opposed to the 1st, we still get those long term health benefits. So I'm thinking about here in terms of seeing it as a long road to changing behaviours. and um, It's not something that's going to happen overnight. And there'll be challenges when we do change our behaviors as well maybe it'll be relapsing back into old habits so it's thinking about there how do we maintain this positive growth in terms of uh, maybe removing elements of our everyday life that create negative health outcomes and um, so it's a long-term gain and it's not going to happen overnight so be ready for all the curves in the road on the way to achieving your objectives
5: Is it good to start your New Year's resolutions alongside others who are making changes and you have the support of family, friends and colleagues who might be pursuing similar goals and can hold your hand, for example, going to the gym together, or is it better to do it when you're personally ready?
6: I think it's definitely when we're personally ready, although we have the social support when everyone's trying to get into their New Year routines, a new year, new me, all of that kind of fad. Um, January is a very difficult time of the year in terms of coming after the Christmas period, we're all going back to work, maybe have less financial income or disposable financial income than other times of the year. So um, here it might be not a good time to get a gym subscription or to um, to think about having that outlay. Um, so whilst there might be social support, I think our body and our mind tells us when we're ready to change. And I think there's almost that pre-contemplation element of knowing that you want to change somewhere in the future, but not necessarily right now. So there'll be cues around you, um, which will kind of dictate to you when it's ready to start that behaviour change journey.
5: From a psychologist's viewpoint, why do we make New Year's resolutions? Is it out of sheer guilt from an unhealthy lifestyle, perhaps,
6: especially over the Christmas period? I do think that 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 kind of December period in general is quite a period of indulgence where we might be going out and socialising with friends and family um, and maybe eating more unhealthy foods than we would be doing at other times of the year. And so I think there is an element of that sense of um, gluttony and guilt that might um, promote the wanting to change a health behavior. But I also think there is an element of seeing the new year as an opportunity for a fresh start. Um, And we think about maybe the negative periods that we might have had in the year that we've just been going through and how that might have negatively affected us and seeing um, the change of a calendar year is an opportunity to start thinking about um, making change to make you a better person, a better, healthy person. Though I'll kind of reiterate back to the point that this could happen on the 2nd of January, it could happen on the 1st of February um, and that pre-contemplation phase of wanting to change behaviours, where, where, wherever it happens in the year, really, it will happen when you're ready to change.
5: With the best of intentions, goals set at the start of the year can fail come mid-January. Joe explains why this happens and what we can do to increase our chances of success in sticking to our goals whenever we set out to make a change.
6: It might be falling back into normal routines as well. So falling back into those um, bad health behaviours, those negative habits that we might engage with. But I find that we're also very easy to write off the resolutions if we do make them um, as soon as we maybe have failed to achieve what we set out to achieve. And I think there is an element of being kind to ourselves. So, for instance, if we are planning our new year resolution to go to the gym maybe once or twice a week when we haven't been to the gym before. It might be that you only go once a week and then people think, well, I've already broken my new year's resolution. What's the point in trying to continue it when I've already broken it? And I think here it's all about being kinder to ourselves in terms of knowing that there's going to be dips when we're trying to change our behaviours. We're complex human beings that behave irrationally and illogically at times. And so I think it's knowing to have that kind of How do we react when something goes wrong in our attempt to change our behaviour? What can we what plans can we put in place to get us back on track and to achieve the long term ultimate goal? So I think it's having that time element with our goals. So they should be specific, but they should be realistic and time dependent as well. What's your mid, your short, mid and long term goals? And how do we get over the barriers when we might be relapsing into all behaviours?
5: To close, we asked Joe to summarise his expert advice.
6: First is to be really realistic. Um, as an ex-smoker, I can say that I used to smoke about 20 cigarettes a day. And um, I've recently quit smoking, but that wasn't a period of going from 20 to zero cigarettes. I know, naughty health psychology um, person. Um, but instead, thinking about the realism of maybe I need to start by just reducing the amount of times that I engage in that behaviour. Um, Am I going to go from going to the gym zero times a week to going every day? I think we need to be thinking about our our routines, our jobs and the other pressures that we have in our our kind of life and to to think about how we can make our planned behaviour change projects be consistent with what we do in our everyday life. So not setting ourselves up to fail to begin with. I think another area that I would think about is um, what we mentioned a bit earlier is telling others and engaging with that social support that's around us that can support us in meeting our long term goals and mid and short term goals. So we have a sense of agency when we're telling others about when we're trying to better ourselves. And we also as humans feel very emotional about not wanting to let people down. So having that kind of social support from others and almost that responsibility to, to do what you've told them you're going to do is a way in which we can probably be more motivated to achieve our goals and definitely preparing. When we um, fail to prepare, we prepare to fail. So having the resources, our strategy in place, um, and focusing on what's gonna help me achieve this goal, not where am I gonna fall down, but thinking about what do I need to be able to make sure that I don't fall into bad habits.
5: Thanks, Joe. Some helpful advice there. Whatever your goals for the new year or beyond, whether it's about your health and fitness, financial matters, personal development, or career-related, it's never too early or too late to start thinking about them.
0: Thanks, Lisa. That brings us to the end of this episode of Metcast, the official podcast from Manchester Metropolitan University. We'll be bringing you a new episode each month, so if you want to hear more from our experts, students and partners, as well as details on the latest research from across the university, be sure to subscribe to us on your chosen podcast platform. Until next time, thank you from me, Victoria Bamber and the rest of the team for listening.